Merry Christmas. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. That's going to be our text for today. And if, uh, if you want, there's an outline on the back of the bulletin. You can use that to help you follow along. While you're turning there, um, I heard about a chauffeur who would drive a chemistry professor to all of his speaking engagements. So he went in and he heard them every single time, same speech over and over again. So one day as they were driving to the next engagement, the chauffeur said, Professor, I've heard your speech so many times, I believe I could give it. The professor kind of smugly said, I doubt it. And he said, I bet you $100. So the professor took him up on the wager. They found a place to pull the car over, traded clothes. The chauffeur got in the back seat. The professor drove on to the auditorium. They got out. The chauffeur was escorted up to the front. Actually, when called upon, was able to give the speech verbatim. Did such a good job, got a standing ovation. He thought, I just nailed this. But then the MC of the evening said, we are so delighted to have a person of such renown speak to us today. But since we've got a few moments left, why don't we open the floor for questions from the audience? <laughs> so we got a little worried about that. Sure enough, there was a question. He had no idea. So he got a sip of water, made it look like he was thinking for a moment. And he thought, you know, that is the silliest question I've ever heard. In fact, I'm trying not to let it insult my intellect. That answer is so obvious that, tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to get my chauffeur to come up here and answer the question. <laughs> Sometimes the person who appears to be wise is actually a fool. And sometimes the person who seems to be foolish possesses the greater wisdom. I think Matthew understood that. And he recognized the birth of Jesus was so unexpected. From the moment the birth was announced, Jesus turned everything upside down. And the birth of Jesus is still calling wise men to pay attention, to listen, and to follow him. Uh, put on your top of the outline there a blank. Christmas is, and you can fill it in with a lot of things, but I would suggest Christmas is foolishness. And I'm not talking about the elf on the shelf or blind reindeer or even the futile attempt to try to meet everybody's expectation for the perfect gift. What I'm talking about is the whole idea of a virgin birth, that special star signaling the coming of a king, God becoming a man. These are foolishness. But I'm also saying that God embraces a kind of foolishness. It's his way of challenging the empty wisdom of the world. When you read through Matthew's gospel, you can't help but see over and over again how the religious leaders did not want to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. So over and over again, you see them looking for ways to catch him in his words, to take him down, to find some way to keep others from believing in him. And each time, Jesus would speak with clarity and wisdom, and the Bible says authority, and the people were amazed at that. His wisdom trumped their foolishness again and again. I've called the lesson wise foolishness, but that's not original to me. I think that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 
Look what he says. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And then look at verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The birth of Jesus Christ was so unexpected in the way that it came about. It turned this whole world upside down. And worldly wisdom may appear to be right when often it is oh so wrong. Think about worldly wisdom. For one, it's dated. Things that we thought were facts, now we're being challenged. Today's generation is saying that things we believe in are no longer true. But most of all, the wisdom of this world is inadequate. Finite man does not have all the answers. And the problem with human wisdom is it always could come up against the question of, says who? I put it on the screen, 1 Corinthians three nineteen. Look at this. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And the birth of Jesus invites us to see wisdom from God's perspective. And Matthew does that by bringing into this birth story a detail that no other gospel mentions. The Magi, the wise men. Let's read Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who had been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, why did Matthew include these wise men in the birth story of Jesus? It must be important. Or Matthew would not have included it. But he doesn't tell us why he mentions them. If you were here with us last December, I did a whole lesson on the Magi, the wise men. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I want to share just a snippet. The Bible, like Old Testament books like Daniel, talk about the Magi or wise men. And other historians like Herodotus tell us about them. They trace their origin back to the Medes. All the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Remember when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees? That's where we're talking about. We know they were part of the Roman Empire when Christ was born. So these magi, these wise men, were part of a priestly tribe from the Medes. They were very skilled in astronomy and astrology. If you remember, the science is astronomy. The superstition is astrology. But at that time, they were blended so they were also involved in sorcery, or so we assume. That's what historians tell us. So that may explain why the term magi is kind of related to magic or magicians. And they're also sometimes called sorcerers, kind of a synonym. Well, these kings had elevated the magi at Bible times. And the first one that we see that in the Bible is Nebuchadnezzar, who took these wise men, these magi, and put them in positions of advisor, truly wise men. So when Daniel was able to interpret the king's dreams when the other magi could not, the Bible says in Daniel 4 that Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the chief of the magicians. That's kind of who they were. And since Daniel kind of superseded them, he became in charge of them. And think about what we know about Daniel. The Bible tells us even though he was in exile, he was a man of God. 
And we know that he was totally devoted to worship and expressing his faith. So it's not easy to assume. And besides, uh, it's, I, I don't think it's hard to assume that he then shared what he knew about the one true God to all those around him. Even these other magicians or magi or wise men shared their knowledge of the Old Testament, shared their copies, even the one, the prophecies about the coming Messiah. So then these wise men, these magi in the Babylonian Empire were very influential, kind of right there with the kings, giving advice, giving counsel, helping them along the way. And they were valued by royalty. They became known as wise men. And you know what the wisdom of these magi were called in that day? The law of the Medes and the Persians. You ever heard of that? Our Bibles mention that phrase, both in the book of Esther and Daniel a couple of times. These magi were so powerful at this time that historians tell us that no Persian became king except if they passed the test, the muster of these wise men. In short, the Magi were king makers. You and I may not think of them in that way. We may think of them as these mysterious men who came to Jesus and gave these gifts at the time of his birth. We may not think of them as king makers. But I guarantee you, Herod thought of them that way. Herod, according to Matthew, was troubled about this. When the wise men came, he was troubled, Matthew says, obviously. So he summons them to talk with them. In the verses that follow, Matthew says that they learned from the Old Testament scriptures that Bethlehem was the place. Let's keep reading Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Think for a moment. These magi, these wise men, leave their homeland, leave their position, their honor, and travel a couple of thousand miles a great expense, great trouble, and a lot of time, months and months, to worship a baby who's a king from a race, the Jews, who despise their race, their Gentiles, and their profession. They're sorcerers, they're magicians. So were these magi wise or foolish? Or maybe both. Maybe this unexpected birth was calling them to understand a wise foolishness. If you fill in the blanks, the first one is this. A wise foolishness believes miracles really happen. A wise foolishness believes miracles really happen. What Matthew is describing here is no normal star. No normal star can guide travelers or, or focus its glow so specifically. Matthew is clearly presenting something as a super manifestation of God. God is working. God is helping them to know exactly where to go. And human wisdom, conventional human wisdom, mocks the credibility of anything that is miraculous. 
It's just foolishness we hear to believe that something can come from nothing or that there is an afterlife or that there is even a God at all. But if there is a God, the miracles are not just logical, then they are possible. Maybe that's why, according to the American Association for the Advancement of Science, two million scientists in our country today identify themselves as evangelical. Their science helps them to believe in God. And the birth of Jesus presents a God who is real, a God who is near, who still does what human wisdom would call impossible. Maybe that's why the angel Gabriel, when talking to Mary, what was about to happen, he made a very important statement, Luke 137, for nothing will be impossible with God. That phrase, Mary needed to hear. Nothing will be impossible with God. God does the impossible for one reason, to reach the people he loves, because he wants them to be saved. So God used the star to communicate to these wise men who were looking for a king. And did you notice that as Matthew tells the story here, it's as if the wise men are the only ones who see this star. I mean, why would Herod be asking about the time frame of the birth if everybody saw it? Wise people are able to recognize the presence of God in the world. Maybe you've had some moments like that where you, maybe in hindsight, look back and see where God has worked in your life, in your world, to bring you to his son. The reason men seek God is because they're seeking He's seeking them first. And they realize there's a better kingdom. Well, number two, because wise foolishness believes Jesus really rules. These magi are powerful, important men. So why would powerful foreign dignitaries go to all this trouble and bow before a baby? See, they weren't looking just to offer congratulations to these new parents. Not at all. They were looking for a king. Somehow, some way, they knew about this king coming. And true wisdom recognizes true sovereignty. For many, the real struggle is not to believe that God exists, but to believe that he's in control. And this is where it gets personal. and sometimes it gets hard for us. Because we ask questions like, if Jesus rules, then... Tell me, why do we have a St. Jude's hospital that has to care for children with cancer? Why even today do we have children growing up without a mom? or Why is there child abuse? A lot of hard questions. The New Testament authors calls us to wise foolishness. To believe the coming of the Jesus challenged Satan's illegitimate reign. And at the end, Christ wins. And Satan loses. The book of Revelation was written to Christians who are asking very hard questions. Like if Jesus really is the victory, why is Caesar the one calling all the shots? Why does it look like we're losing? So John was given an amazing privilege. The curtain of heaven was open and John was able to see, to look what's happening. And everything is worshiping the Lamb. Jesus is victorious. Satan is overthrown. Wisdom recognizes that all these other powers that are trying to get our attention, trying to control things, they're all pretenders. And that real foolishness 
is the refusal to acknowledge the sovereignty of Christ. That's the real reason Jesus is mocked by those who think they're wise. Because think about this. What idol is more revered than control? We love to be in control. We're okay with Jesus being born. We're okay with Jesus being a baby. We don't want him to grow up because then he becomes king, lord, master. And he's in control. And that's where we struggle to acknowledge. True wisdom calls us to recognize Jesus was born a king. Because Jesus has always been a king. And he will always be a king. And someday the world will recognize the foolishness of rejecting him. Philippians 2 verse 10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's one reason why the angel appeared to the shepherds and said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For all people. Remember we talked about the genealogy a couple of weeks ago. And did you notice the diversity there? Racial diversity. Economic diversity, even gender diversity. Women are included. That was not the Jewish custom to include women at all. So number three, Matthew is sending a message that wise foolishness believes everyone really matters. That may be the most unexpected thing about Jesus is how he saw everybody the same. Men, women, young and old, Jew, Gentile. They were all souls. He brought about the most inclusive kingdom that the world has ever seen. Reader's Digest shared a story about Alan uh, Alan Abramsky. He was part of a cultural exchange program. He and his family live in Roanoke, Texas. And they hosted for a while a Jewish rabbi from Russia at Christmas time. So very much aware of the different cultures, they were trying to do their best to show him America at its best and all the things that we enjoy. So one time they did, they took him somewhere that their family enjoys, their favorite Chinese restaurant. I think you're just so aware of all the cultures coming together, they enjoyed the meal. But when they finished eating, the waiter brought the check, and then understanding what was going on, presented each of them a small brass Christmas tree ornament as a, a little gift. Everyone, again, kind of aware of all the different cultures going on, all these different people in a Chinese restaurant. Alan's father pointed out the ornament. She turned it over, and it was stamped, Made in India. And everybody at the table just kind of laughed out loud, except for the rabbi, who was very solemn. In fact, he had tears in his eyes. And so Alan's father thought he had misspoken. He apologized. I'm sorry. Did I, I say something that offended you? And the rabbi smiled and shook his head and said, No, these are tears of joy to be in a wonderful country in which a Buddhist gives a Jew a Christmas tree made by a Hindu. (laughs) One of the most unexpected parts of the birth story is that so many people, so many different people were part of it. These magi were not the Jewish elite. But they were not Jewish at all. They're Gentiles. But Matthew, a Jew, writes about them in this story. God was inviting everyone to celebrate in the arrival of his son. And as foolish as it sounds, Jesus is the hope of the world. 
we may need this message now more than ever. Because our world seems to focus on our differences. And Satan is having a heyday with that. It was a problem in Jesus' day, but boy, is it a problem today. Political, racial, religious, sexual identity, gender, on and on. And human wisdom says the way we deal with that is more legislation or more education or maybe even more intimidation. But real reconciliation, according to the foolishness of God, if you want to call it that, begins with the recognition of, uh, recognition of what Paul wrote, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whenever we have a tragedy in our country or our world, there are two pains that I often experience. One is the shooting or the riot or, or whatever happened. And the second is... The Christians who get on social media and spread a lot of foolishness. You know what I'm talking about with that. You may recall Ben Watson, NFL football player, son of a minister. After a racial episode, he wrote this. I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus. And with it, a transformed heart and mind, one that is capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamar Rice, Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure. It is the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. God came in the flesh to work out a plan to bring in a kingdom that includes everyone. The angel said, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people, regardless of race, rich or poor, even those who oppose Jesus, even those who think we are foolish because we believe, because we are fools. We do believe that King Jesus is a much-needed prince of peace that everybody needs, and one day he'll make everything right. So let me close with this. Jesus is exactly what this foolish world needs. Jesus is exactly what this foolish world needs. You know, sometimes when extended families gather for holidays, don't look at anybody. This means that we're with those who are a little different than us. You know what I mean by that? Not everybody's the same. And no, different doesn't necessarily mean bad. It just means they're not like us. Difference may mean, look at the screen, you may be the Marilyn in the Munster family. You know what I'm saying? Is that what you're feeling right now? We call those people like that eccentric because it sounds a lot nicer than calling them weird or, or strange. I looked up what eccentric means. It says unconventional or slightly strange. 
And then it gave us an example. My favorite aunt is very eccentric. See, I didn't make that up. That's what we think about when we think about eccentric. Here's another definition. Technically, it means off-center. Eccentric means off-center. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us the exact day of Jesus' birth, and I think maybe for a good reason, because it's not something to just celebrate once a year. The idea of Jesus coming, the birth of Jesus, centers us every day. So let's be challenged as we end one year and begin another. Make sure you center your life on Jesus. Make sure you center your finances on Jesus. Make sure you center the way you treat people, including your family, on Jesus. Make sure you center the way you make everyday decisions around Jesus. If you're not centering your life around Jesus, then you're the one who's foolish At least that's what God's word is telling us. Being a wise man, being a wise woman begins by admitting that you need a savior. And if you're smart, you know you can't save yourself. Look at the screen, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When invitations were sent out for the coronation of the Queen of England... Included in the wording of those announcements were the phrase, all excuses set apart. There was no RSVP. There was no date to let them know your plans. All excuses. This is what it says. 950 that were invited. These are to will and command you, parentheses, all excuses set apart, close parentheses, to make your personal attendance. You were expected to be there. That was the invitation. And the birth of Jesus called the wise men. And they came from the east and bowed to a king. And what the Bible tells us is that one day, every knee will bow. We want to encourage you, if you've not yet bowed to King Jesus... Let today be today. We're going to sing a song of invitation to encourage you to come forward as you confess Jesus is the Son of God. If you've not yet been baptized, let him make you a new creation, washing your sins away, giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or if we can just pray for you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?